I used to sit in the preschool in tears. People say to me all the time, you're a parenting expert because you've got six kids. And I'm like, well, no, I know plenty of people with lots of kids and they're not parenting experts at all. <laughs> Doesn't matter which school they go to as long as they're being well supported at home because I will not be camping out to get them into the out of area or the fancy private schools. From the news desk to the nursery, Mom! this is the Parent Panel with Siobhan Hunt. We have two wise and experienced parents in the studio today to discuss issues that are making the rounds on both the interwebs, over coffees in cafes and in our kitchens. Today, we're talking about sibling rivalry. How do we get our children to be friends? Should five-year-olds be hitting the gym? The advice we'd give to our new parent selves and the most memorable Mother's Day gift you've either given or received. Joining us on the show today, we have two parents that are very close to the kindling heart. You will have heard the dulcet tones of Amy Taylor-Cabaz on our meditations on the stations. She's the voice that lulls your children to sleep on bedtime explorers. She's also a coach, author, and founder of Happy Mama. Hi, Amy. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. And Mark Harris is best known as Buzz, the band leader from La La's Big Life Band. And apart from performing at about a trillion children's concerts every year. He's also a dad of two and partner to Lala, who is also known as Tina. Hi, Mark. How are you? Why, hello. <laughs> Let's just start with a little bit of background on your families. Amy, if we could start with you, tell us about your kids. I have three, two girls and a boy. So my eldest is 10 years old, Scarlett, who is very sensitive, very creative, loves her alone time, loves to be off in the corner doing her own thing. Second is Greta, who's eight years old. She is my vivacious, bubbly personality. She is here to make sure everybody's happy. And as long as everybody else is happy, she's happy. And then we've got the third one, which was the surprise baby boy. <laughs> was not planned, but thank goodness he was a boy because otherwise my husband, I think he was going to walk out with three teenage girls in the house. Uh, so uh, finally we have Cass, Cassius, or Cass for short, who's four years old and who's just a regular four-year-old boy full of energy <laughs> and jumps off the couch and turns everything into a climbing gym. Awesome. That sounds brilliant. Mark, your girls are a little bit older now. Tell us about them. Yes, we have two beautiful daughters, Lily and Emily. Lily's 15 years old. Uh, she's what I think of as the classic first child syndrome. She's very heartfelt, very sincere, a beautiful soul. She takes the world a little bit too seriously at all times. Uh, Emily, by contrast, is the classic last child. Uh, she's crazy. She's much like me, really. She's, <laughs> she's, she lives on the up most of the time. She's quite manic. Um, she's one of the most prodigious artistic um, outputters that I've seen. She's constantly drawing or sculpting or knitting or, or. She knits. Yep, she knits and crochets. She just wow. did a sewing project that she had to finish this morning. So, Isn't yes, artistic little souls, both of them. One more serious than the other, but um, both deep little people and. Not, oh. They're not little now. I mean, 15 and 12, they're young adults. Well, that sounds quite good because they're in the teenage years, Amy. So that, that sounds hopeful for we us. We could get some tips today, <laughs> yeah, for, the, for the future. <laughs> All right. Our first topic today is sibling rivalry and finding the secret to loving relationships. I hate this family! Just sibling rivalry. Oh, you're the best brother a girl ever had. 
sibling relationships. Now, if you have a brother or a sister, chances are that you know they're not always straightforward. And you might even be estranged from a sibling. And if that's the case, when you look at your own children, I think you just, you just want them to be friends. You want them to have each other's back for the rest of their lives, including when you're not around anymore. But the thing is, when they're small, at least, I don't know what they're like as teenagers, Mark, but when they're small, they spend a lot of time fighting. Uh, this week, I spoke to an amazing music therapist called Vered. She's based in New York, and she's just released an album called Songs for Sisters and Brothers, and it's going to play on Kindling this week. It's kind of exclusive, so it's not out to the public yet, but we chatted to her and she had a couple of tips. Well, main one main tip that I thought was brilliant, and she was told, when your kids fight, just step out of the picture, don't witness it, tell them to go and do it in their room, and then it will stop because what they're actually fighting for is your love and attention. And that, for me, was a real light bulb moment. Amy, with three, there has to be there has to be some of those fights. I mean, do you find that something that you're really conscious of that you want your kids to be friends? Yes, really, really conscious of it because my best friend in the world is my sister. So whenever, especially between my two daughters, whenever they're not really supportive of each other, I find I can tip into the preaching of how important your sister is and there will be no one else in your life like this and I really get on my high horse, which, you know, doesn't help anything <laughs> in the situation. So it is something I've thought a lot about and I do agree with that um, that insight about sometimes it's about getting the parents' attention. I can tell when they're trying to get me involved they, they squeal at a certain level, <laughs> decibel, especially my middle child. She has this really put on, over the top, fake, I've been hurt, my brother's just hurt me kind of squeal. And she's not actually hurt. What that is saying is, mummy, come in here and sort this out and fix it for me. So I do know what she means. I think it is important for us to not always go running in there because it does escalate things. Um, but at the same time, we also have to monitor things, obviously, especially with a four-year-old boy who gets a bit physical sometimes. So yeah, I have to navigate it a lot. Personally, for me, I find the sibling rivalry really gets overwhelming when I'm buying into it too much and putting too much of a story onto it. So if I'm telling myself, oh my God, you guys never stop fighting and you're never going to get along and why is it so hard? And I was so best friends with my sister when I was growing up, then I get involved and it all turns to custard. So actually, I feel like I need to pull myself back, not because not because they don't need me, but because if I get involved, I bring my crap to it as well. That's really interesting. Mm. Uh, Mark, I know your girls are older. Um, what were they like when they were young and how has it kind of evolved? I I thanked my lucky stars at both, bir both births when they were girls. Really? To be honest, I knew what I was like as a boy, a terror, a pain, always <laughs> needling my sister. Uh, we had a great relationship though, but um, really through Nothing that we've done as parents, our two girls, who are about two and a half years apart, have always been nothing but the very best of friends. And they really very, very rarely fight at all. Um, the first sort of discontent has happened now that they're sort of post-puberty, um, and they have 
their kind of moody days where they kind of dig in. But as children, they really they really never fought. I, and I don't think that's rose-coloured glasses. They've just always had each there other's back. There are some kids like that. Yeah, so I, we count our lucky stars for that. And you don't think there's anything that you contributed to? Oh, maybe. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Don't, be, don't be too yeah, It was I'm the sure. awesome parenting. Yeah, that, uh... my, my awesome parenting particularly. <laughs> uh, look, I, I, I guess we... Um, we very much have a of a household where open discussion and you know arguing and fighting things is encouraged in open. Uh, I grew up in a household where it wasn't like that at all. My parents always shielded fights and stuff from me. I think from a sense of trying to protect us kids, uh, but I actually think that was really bad, mm. <laughs> damaging. And you know, my my um, therapist is helping me work through that now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, the 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 so Tina and I discuss openly in front of the kids, money, relationship, work, everything. They hear it all. And and I think in turn, they discuss everything openly with each other uh, and let it all out. And I think that's that's ultimately better. My goodness. Already the first topic, and I feel like I need to write notes down because that is both, both different takes on that is so insightful. Particularly my parents never fought in front of us either. And I feel like that's made me kind of passive aggressive even though I don't totally. mean to be I just have no concept of how you face something head on and butt heads and then cuddle afterwards which is what kids need to see isn't it I've had to learn cuz cuz teen has come from a from a family environment that was um head on yes uh and so that terrified me in our early days and it, <laughs> and we've had to work out how to um how know, to do discuss it. together and be like that. Uh, but I think we kind of got there now. <laughs> we've been married for 19 years now, so it's taken a while. <laughs> and I think it's probably only the last five years we're kind of figuring it out. But Isn't that a good um, idea, though, in terms of the longevity of parenting and relationships and working things out, that you don't have to get it right in the first couple of years? Well, you're I not mean, going to. Yeah. And obviously now that's helped your kids. Well, look, I could keep going, but let's move on to the next one. Um, I'm Siobhan Hunt. You are listening to the Parent Panel on Kindling Conversation, where we invite two parents into the studio to get their thoughts on the stories and events of the week. Already we've mined some pearls of wisdom from our guests, Amy Taylor-Kabaz, who is a coach, author, and founder of Happy Mama, and Mark Harris, a.k.a. Buzz, the band leader from La La's Big Life Band. Next, tackling the obesity epidemic in children, one kitty gym at a time. You learn how to exercise like a normal kid. It's fun, it's healthy, it's good exercise. The kids will just love it. I just gotta exercise. You knew how to ride a bike like a normal kid. I'm not fat. It's this fur that makes me look big. Captain Choke. Captain Choke. I have to refer back to that quote because it was from the Goonies. Do you remember that scene in the Goonies? Yeah, poor old, poor old Chunk. What a horrible name. Anyway, there's a reason why we don't want our kids to be obese, so they're not traumatised by horrible nicknames. But in Australia, the Obesity Policy Coalition predicts that 50% of Australians will be overweight or obese by 2025, and children aren't exempt from the rising rates of obesity and weight gain. Now an enterprising fellow in the UK, Andy Gray, has founded Gymfants, a place that houses mini pieces of gym equipment so that parents and kids can start exercising together. He basically did this because he saw in his own town there were high levels of obesity of the kids that were starting school. 
So I'm wondering, is this a good thing, given it introduces children to exercise young and it is also an activity where they can participate with their parents or is it just another step away from free play in nature, which we all know is so great for our kids? Before we come to Amy and Mark, I just want to read out a few comments we got from our listeners. Monica says, this seemed so insane to me as I started reading the title. This is online because what? My kid is like 19 kilograms at five and a half years old and skinny as then remembered childhood obesity is a thing, which is so, so sad. Claudia says, kids go from house to car seat to pram, back to car seat and back home. No exercise, no running in the park. And Rebecca says, prevention is better than cure. It's all down to what parents choose to feed their kids. Amy, what's your take on this one? I'm going to sit on the fence. I totally am. I would love a world where we didn't need this. And I would love a world where our kids are outdoors and running and jumping and playing ball for hours and hours until the sun comes down and the mum's out the back saying, come on, it's dinner time. But unfortunately, that's not the world we live in. I mean, we're in the inner west in Sydney here and we literally are in a concrete playground. We have to be really proactive with how much our kids are outside. We have to physically go to a different location so they can run around on grass. It's a really tough thing. It means that we do have a lot of structured activities, so many dance classes and gymnastic classes and swimming because that's how we get them to move. I'd love it if we didn't need a gym, but in some parts of the world and in some parts of our country, maybe this is a way to do it. And also when you were explaining it to me, I thought how many of those creches are attached to gyms where the kids go in and they, I hate to say it, there's usually a big screen and the kids are on the floor watching TV while the mums exercise why don't we turn that into a little bit of a playtime activity, get the ball out? There's lots of different things we could be doing. Mm, that's true. Mark, what's your take on this one? Well, I think it entirely depends on the kind of culture of the parents and family because while I clearly am not a gym junkie, <laughs> um, I totally get that there are a lot of people who adore the gym. It's a big part of who they are and they feel very out of touch if they're not regularly getting into even, I don't know, even what they do, they're stepping machines and lifting things and, and whatnot. And if, if that's part of how you um, build a kind of identity and, and a life for yourself, then of course you, you would lean to wanting to introduce that to your kids as well. And as long as it's done kind of in that way for the right reason, that, you know, in, in our family, exercising in the gym is part of, it's fun and it's, you know, it's, it makes us feel great and, and, and it also keeps you healthy, then we can do this together. I think that's great. But if it's kind of done through a, I don't want my kid to get fat, you should go to the gym mm. thing, which is exactly the reason why I hate gyms because I feel like their farms like that for me. I'd rather get out and play soccer with my mates or whatever. But I think it's entirely up to the culture of the family. It is sad, though, when you mention that part about the concrete jungle. I've always wanted what I had growing up, which was a reserve. You remember some parts of Australia in the suburbs, you'll have your houses and out the back you'll have a reserve with mm. no fences, maybe a little creek and the kids can just run. And I feel like that's what our kids miss today is just that of freedom. Whenever I see my kids just running and not worrying about a driveway or I'm like, this is what I want them to have. But it's just not, it's just not around for many people, is it? I, kids are active anyway like they don't need a reserve I mean of course that would be lovely but who's 
billionaires. <laughs> um, and and uh, definitely keeping in mind that the uh, that the story that we're talking about is based in England where it's freezing most of the time. So you wouldn't send mm. your kids out in the cold. So you've got to look for other alternatives. But kids are active anyway. They'll jump on the bed. They'll run around the house. They'll, they'll find ways to be active. They kind of need it um, themselves. So again, I think it's more about finding... Uh, Introducing your kids to the things that you do yourself and that are important to you as a person. And, and if a gym is a part of what is important to you, then why, why wouldn't you introduce your kids And what to I really like about that is that it's the parents are there doing it as well. Mm. You'd hate it to be a gym where you just turn up at the front door, drop your kid <laughs> off to do their weights for half an hour and then pick them up later. I think that's a really important <laughs> point, that they're actually doing it as part of the family. And I think my husband and I talk about this a lot. We tag team our exercise during the week and we think it's really important that the kids just notice us going in and out, doing these different things to keep ourselves healthy and we talk about it. As you said, it's the family culture of how you do it yeah. that's important. That's I, I wish that I'd grown up with more of a culture of exercise of various forms mm. because I don't and I, and I don't miss daily exercise and that's why I don't do it. I think if, if I'd grown up as a young person with all of our family going for regular bike rides or camp, hiking or, or to the gym or whatever, then I, I, I don't know if that would help us all out, I reckon. But the other side of it is, obviously, it's what goes in first that's most important and you, you can't run off a bad diet. That's true. You're listening to the Parent Panel on Kindling Conversation. I'm Siobhan Hunt. My guests today are Amy Taylor-Kabaz, coach, author and founder of Happy Mama, and Mark Harris, a.k.a. Buzz the Bandleader from La La's Big Life Band. In just a moment, what would you say to your new parent self in in those early weeks after your first baby arrived. Hello, just a quick note before we get on to the next topic. Are you a working mum trying to work out how other women manage it all? The Mother Shift is a brand new podcast series revealing what's really going on behind closed doors when we're busy juggling work and family life, not to mention taking care of ourselves. Hosted by journalist, mum and guest on the parent panel, Jacinta Tynan, The Mother Shift couples expert advice with relatable and unfiltered stories to try and help you figure out that puzzle of modern motherhood. After this episode, make sure you go and check out The Mother Shift. There's even an episode where I dive into my own personal story. Woohoo! Okay, now let's get back to the parent panel. Still, if I uh, knew then what I know now. If only I knew what he knows, you know? If they knew what I know. You know nothing, Jon Snow. Of all the things we wish we knew when we were parents, poor old Jon Snow. I don't know. Did he know nothing? I think he, he was pretty cluey after all the whole palaver. <laughs> oh, actually, no, he wasn't. Sorry, I just remembered how the last series ended. I won't spoil it for anyone, but really, he did know nothing. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about. Jamila Rizvi was in the studio this week talking about the book she recently edited, and it's called The Motherhood. Australian women share what they wished they'd known about life with a newborn. And it was full of really heartfelt letters from women to their younger new mum selves. They were pleased to be kinder to themselves, not to worry about their careers, and Surprisingly, although I also recognise this, a fair bit about unexpressed anger. What would you say to your new parent self that would have helped in the early weeks, Amy? Well, as you know, I built a career out of that question. <laughs> so this is a really hard question for me to answer really quickly. Um, 
there's a lot of things around my career and my sense of self and my marriage and my health and all of those things that I would have loved to have known. But I think the key thing that would have changed it, maybe in hindsight, is I would have told myself to stop rushing around trying to find the answers that I did know them and that my baby and I were going to figure it out. I was obsessed with thinking that I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. Surely there has to be a book out there that tells me what I'm doing. (laughs) Hang on. I've read the book and I still don't know what I'm doing. Maybe I'll ring the parent helpline. I'll ring the parent helpline and maybe they'll tell me what I'm doing. I still don't know what I'm doing. Oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) That was pretty much it for the first four months. Um, And that, as you can imagine, makes my throat tight. Just repeating it, that's what I was like. If I could have told myself to just stop, breathe, look at her and everything will be okay. Yeah. Things would have been very different. Mark, what was it like for you being a new dad? Well, yeah, it's a really good. It's a. It's, it's going back a bit to try and remember. But th- look, the, the striking things that I uh, wish that I'd done differently and and would advise all dads is just get stuck in more. Really, um, it's very easy for a dad to feel totally overwhelmed in those early weeks because mum takes over completely. It's very much a cocooning sort of process that I think needs to happen. Uh, And so it's pretty easy to feel kind of shut out and a bit disconnected as a new dad, I think. That's one memory that I had. But I also uh, look back with tons of guilt about sleeping through things and not helping out more than I should have and being away working um, on tours and stuff like that and and, and wishing that I'd taken more time and given more time to Tina. Um, um, the other thing was um, in the hospital, in the first hour afterwards, uh, offer your wife some food that's not <laughs> hospital food and go and get it for her. Mm. I, one thing that I will never live down <laughs> is that my dad came in for the birth of our second child, not for the birth, but right after it. And he was like, oh, congratulations, matey. You know, well done. You know, you must be starving. And I'm like, well, yeah, I am actually. It was, I can't remember what time it was. And so he goes, quick, quick, well, I'll take you down the road. We'll go and get a bite to eat. And so he went down and I, we went and got a curry. <laughs> which I brought back in takeaway containers. And Tina's like, did you get something for me? It's like, you're in the hospital, don't uh, they feed you? Uh, oh! And she goes, and you bought curry? You know, the one thing I couldn't eat while I was pregnant because it made me feel sick was curry, and you bring curry into the birthing room? Are you kidding me? So, yes, I, I quite rightly um, get a dressing down yeah. at every family <laughs> event. And all of us are like, yeah, sorry, we can't feel for you on that one. No, absolutely not. So, but I was just clueless. I was really clueless. Mm. You know, we'd read... Baby Love, and uh, which is a magnificent resource, and, and I still think it's well. I don't know if it, I'm sure it's still relevant. Kids it still is. behave the same Definitely. way. Um, but I mean, nothing can prepare you. You're kidding yourself if you think you you know what's going to happen when you're there. All the all the stuff is built towards um, preparing you for the day, and then nothing after it. So. Mm-hmm. And I find it interesting just standing here with you both now, um, Amy. You mentioned you've built a career after, over this around this question, and and that career is such a plethora of resources for women and support for women, but I don't think I've ever seen a happy papa anywhere. Do you know, I, I don't think I've ever seen um, someone sort of try and tackle this idea of how to support dads. And I mean, there is Grant Linden who comes on this show. He's got busy dads, but that's one dad who's trying to make a difference. How do you think um, that advice could get through to dads or that support could get through to dads, Mark? It's a really good question because I don't think, well, in my case, I can't speak for others, but I'm not a kind of guy who kind of reaches out to support groups and forums. And I, you know, if I, if I, I'm, I'm most likely to just chat with my mates who would have had kids and just to see what they think. So it's much more, and, and I think um, women largely go to their 
um, in immediate networks first as well. But I think guys kind of get, I don't know, a bit closed off or a bit proud to go and seek other help. I mean, I guess there's men's sheds and all those kind of things, which probably are a great place to disseminate that sort of info. I don't know. It's a but tough they don't, one. you don't grow up the same way I think as girls grow up. Um, I, I don't know. This is very general, but yeah. I think um, most women I know um, are aware at least of what is out there and will try and reach out in some way to get that support. And I also think as women, and you remember this, Siobhan, that when you're pregnant, you literally become obsessed with everything because they're inside you growing. Everything about your body is changing. I'm not sure maybe this is making some assumptions, but I know with my husband, I don't think he really got what was happening until, oh, my God, it's coming out now. <laughs> you know, I don't think he he wasn't on Google at midnight checking what happens in the first year of a child's life like I was. I think women very much go very quickly into the maternal instinct because our bodies are changing and it's not until the guy's in the delivery room and goes, oh my goodness. And then what a shock. Yeah, so (laughs) I wonder whether there's an opportunity for men's groups, you know, like within, we all do the neo, the, the, what is it called? Antenatal antenatal classes in the hospital. They should take the guys to one side and maybe get a conversation happening just with them. That would be really interesting. They tried to do that. Did uh, they? We were at RPA and, and, and... Yeah, Mark just didn't listen. <laughs> well, I got kicked out of the antenatal class once. Really? For, for, for mucking around with one of the other dads. We were, <laughs> were having fun with nappies and we were being... Mark, I thought you were such an innocent. I am... Tina is a saint. <laughs> I'm innocent. I'm just naughty. <laughs> Easily distracted. Just ask Tina. Should be. Oh, that's, that's gorgeous. All right. You're listening to the parent panel up next your most memorable mother's day gifts i cannot wait to hear what mark has given tina i love you mommy i love you to the moon and back from sienna this is a mother's day card i've been working on mom a big box of chocolates on mother's day gotta say this was a pretty great mother's day gift now a gift for your mother i made this for you Sorry, that last one was so creepy. Apparently, it's from Star Wars, oh. and it was what Ooh. it was what Anakin was giving to Padwa. Padme. Padme. Padwa. What is Padwa? Well, I don't know. I couldn't forget. <laughs> so terrible. <laughs> so uh, Mother's Day gifts. It's caused a bit of a sensation on Facebook. If you say you don't want a vacuum cleaner, there are a thousand women who say they do. But one Mother's Day, my husband gave me an iPhone battery charger. I'm not sure why. He thought it could be useful. I was rather perplexed. I think I might have just, every year I ask for the same thing. I just want a massage. Pay for a massage. That's mm. all I want. That's fine. Um, I'm wondering what is the most memorable Mother's Day present you've been given or given to your mum, yourself? Amy, do you have any that stick out in your mind? Yeah, we were at the Mother's Day breakfast at my school this morning and the Mother's Day stall of all of the hand made gifts are there and you could see this look on my husband's face of oh no I haven't got her anything yet <laughs> so I know I'm going to get the Mother's Day store gifts again I'm there. I and then a gift anything. voucher that'll be it I do love my husband but he cannot forward plan these things unless I tell him to <laughs> Mark's pointing to himself I'm thinking yeah I got a text from my husband yesterday asking me what size top I was and oh. I'm like don't, don't buy me a top please don't buy me a top is <laughs> no, but, what I would be saying but last Mother's Day he got my son to pick it out so I mean look I think Arlo did quite well. Everyone in the office said he did quite well. But still, I'm like, yeah. Arlo's not quite four yet. And while I think he's a groovy little dude, he's, he's not quite across mum's wardrobe taste. No. Plus, I don't expect 
new wardrobe stuff. I'm happy with a daggy pair of slippers if yeah. the kids choose them. You know, I, I, I'm wanting slippers. Mm. It's getting <laughs> a bit cold now. Maybe we should raise our expectations, so Shep. <laughs> like seriously, we're on the heart of motherhood right now. Do you think we deserve something more than slippers? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm, the most memorable. I mean, I have a jar on my desk at home that is filled with little bits of paper that the kids all wrote, and my little boy was too young, but the older sister wrote them for him, which is all the things they love um, about me. And it says on the outside of the jar, whenever you're feeling sad, mummy, open one of these. And it Aww. is a really, really beautiful gift. The most bizarre one I've ever received is a head massager, and it looks like an egg beater that's open at the bottom. Have you seen one of those? The orgasmatron. <laughs> I did They're, not know that that's what it was yeah, called. They're very 90s, those They're things. Awesome. We've got one at home. <laughs> that was it. And so when you're opening it, you're thinking, yeah, egg beater, what, what is Kitchen this thing? Yeah. That's like probably a, the oddest looks one. Looks like I've a had. model of a brain neuron. Yeah, it's they're weird very, things, they're but very, they're very weird. weird. They are awesome. Okay, but see, I reckon for a guy, great thing. I can so see my husband standing in the kitchen, <laughs> giving his head a bit of a. As a woman. We've got hair done in there. There's something. It's just not my thing. No. I have never used it. <laughs> you might have to give it to Mark. He might use it as well. I've already Double got up. one, but I might as well have two. <laughs> two. <laughs> and Mark, I know uh, hopefully Tina's not listening, so you obviously after you leave us, you're going to hit the shops and find some really nice cosy slippers because we've recommended that this is a good Mother's Day gift. Uh, when have you um, possibly bought something for the kids and just seen Tina's face go, really? Oh, God. Well, it, you're already getting from the tone of this half hour that I'm completely hopeless for me, male. <laughs> and uh, nothing typifies it more than literally driving here. Tina Skyped, uh, FaceTimed me on, on, in the car and she was in a shop buying a shawl from my mother for Mother's Day. And she was oh, like, do you think she'd like this one or would she like this Tina, one? And I'm driving. Tina, sweetheart. And I didn't ask her to do it, but she just knows that, I would, that I'm hopeless. And so she's just taking the reins again. I see. That's what happens over a few years because I always, always remind my husband, Daniel, about Mother's Day. But I think the problem is when I remind him, it annoys him. So then he drags his heels even more. Yeah. She's like, oh, mum doesn't mind if she doesn't get anything. And I know his mum loves him to bits and she will probably let him get away with it. But I'm like, uh-uh-uh. I just suck at making a decision, really. The, the, the best one I did was last year. Um, we had been up at my mum's place in the Blue Mountains and we'd passed, you know, you know, you go shopping in Lura Mall and you're just wandering, you're looking at browsing and stuff and usually it's just switch off time. I, I just I just follow along dutifully and, <laughs> and, you know, I'm just checking the newspaper on my phone while they're looking at stuff, trying things on. But for some reason there was one piece of jewellery that caught my eye this time and I just took a photo of it because I saw Tina's reaction to it and then I forgot about it and then it came time for Mother's Day and it was like, I remember there was this specific piece of jewellery and... I can do an ad for it. It's called Ayala Bar. She's an Israeli jewelry designer. And so I then tried to find where you can get it. And I found a shop in Potts Point that has a few pieces. And I made the trip. <gasps> I went there. Mark I, has redeemed himself, I did it with everybody. Days planning and I got one. And she absolutely loves it. Her favorite piece. Did you, did you save that story up? To sort of end on a high note after the other, that was good. I was actually going to tell something the... different, but that popped in my head. So well done, you, you, you have totally redeemed yourself, Mark. I, look, uh, husbands, just <laughs> just make it something pretty fun or relaxing, or you know, it's not hard. It's not too hard. It's, it's not really hard. not hard. <laughs> yeah, no irons, no fitness 
equipment. Well, I've got to say, I have learned a lot this parent panel. Amy, Mark, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. That was Amy Taylor-Kabaz, who's a coach, author, and founder of Happy Mama, and Mark Harris, a.k.a. Buzz, the band leader from La La's Big Life Band. You've been listening to The Parent Panel, a Kindling Kids radio podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to leave a review and share it with your friends. The Parent Panel, new episodes every Friday.